Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL show. My name is Danny Heifetz and I am joined by Ben Solek and Steven Ruiz and the NFL season is here. We will be coming to you every Friday previewing the weekend's NFL games and today we are previewing week one of the 2022 NFL season and we're going to start today and every Friday we're going to start with the game plan. Every Friday we're going to pick our game of the week. Steven and Solak are going to cosplay I guess is the word as the coaching staffs for each team they're going to game plan against each other in the matchup. This week's game of the week, the Broncos are playing the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football. The Seahawks traded Russell Wilson to Denver in March, and now Russell's first game as a Bronco is going back to Seattle, facing his old team. It's on Monday Night Football. Solak, you agreed to take the Broncos coaching staff, so you got head coach Nate Hackett, and I guess kind of Russell Wilson, really. Steven, you're Pete Carroll, oldest head coach in NFL history. You can start chewing on gum or whatever you Steven have to do. won this exchange for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I got to shave so. my head. It's not great. <laughs> well, th- on that note, so like you're the Broncos, you're Russell Wilson. There, we could write a whole book on like what happened with Russell Wilson leaving Seattle, but it seemed like Russ just wasn't happy with how the Seahawks offense was running. Now Russ in control has can do basically whatever he wants in Denver. What are we going to see from Russell Wilson and the Broncos this week against the Seahawks? Now you're very right in saying like you can write a whole book. The the more prep I did, the more I realized that like. Russ is the most just like illustrative quarterback in terms of like like me learning about the game of football like it's d- <laughs> just defined by Russell Wilson and the foolishness that occurred in Seattle over the course of like almost a decade um but let's let's begin at the end and then we'll work our way there Russell Wilson is now the quarterback of the of the Broncos here this is our first time seeing Russ outside of Seattle and it's been made very clear by Russell Wilson's communications and by head coach Hackett's communications that this is a offense built in the image and likeness of Russell Wilson. And we are going to run the offense the way he wants to run it. What does that look like? 
we the implication here is we've never seen this before. Like, like Tim Patrick had one of these quotes. Russ has said this where he's like, it's like a one-of-one offense. You've never seen this before. But when they talk about the details of it, we kind of have. Uh, when Hackett arrived, he talked about running an outside zone offense. He qu- said, we're going to place off the play pass, which play pass is, is, a, is a jargon, and I'm going to define it before I get yelled at. Play pass is coach speak for hard play action, right? So when we say like a play action play just like in the, in the media and fans we say like oh you fake the run and then you throw it but for coaches there's two categories there's play pass which is i am turning my back to the defense and i am making it look so hard like i am handing this football off and then i'm going to keep it turn my body back to the, the the defense and subsequently throw it so think like under center you know under center like wide zone you are fully selling that you are doing the run as opposed to like an rpo where you're just kind of like sticking it in the guy's stomach but your eyes are up the entire time. Those are two different categories. And Hackett is saying, we're going to be play pass. We're going to put Russ under center, and we're going to run one wide zone and play action. So you said, we're going to be a play pass offense. We want to make everything look the same. Sean McVay series football. So you have that bucket right there. And that bucket of wide, uh, wide zone, under center, play pass is the bucket that Russ asked for last year when he said, I want influence over the, Se- uh, the Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator hire. And the Seahawks said, who do you want? And he said, Shane Waldron. I want Shane Waldron. He's an offensive coach for the Rams. I want you to get him in the building. And they got Waldron into the building. And for a few weeks there, we were driving. It looked great. We were going up against the Colts. We're running under center play pass. And we're chucking the ball downfield. And it's awesome. But then he would turn on the film. And all of the routes that like typify this offense, all like we're going to run crossers and you know deep digs, right? It's like 14-yard in-breaking route. We're going to hit this intermediate middle of the field. They were in the offense. They were opening up. Russell was not throwing them. He's not interested in, in, in this ball. And you wrote a wonderful piece, Danny, for the ringer, showing Russell Wilson's heat map, his target map. Where does he choose to throw the football? And there's just this big cold area right in the intermediate middle of the field. So Russ asked for this offense that opens up this intermediate middle of the field, this wide zone play action. And then he doesn't throw it there. He still throws it deep down the field. The, um, the other things, we have like that issue. And then the other issue we have is Russ has this like wonderful idea of himself as this like incredible game manager, call plays at the line of scrimmage, Peyton Manning. I live in shotgun. I see the defense. I get the defense in the wrong look. And I shoot thing. Russ has talked a lot about tempo. He's like, I want to run tempo. I want to run fast. I want to get up to the line of scrimmage and go. And this is something that Seattle never did. Like the Seattle just like, you know, like they would do it when they needed to, like late in games, you know, fourth quarter, two minute, whatever. But it wasn't like fundamental to their offense. The problem is... You can't be shotgun, I'm going to read the defense, make them look wrong, no huddle, Peyton Manning, and also fit, I'm going to go under center, run play action, and, and turn my back to the defense. Those two things are incongruous. You, can't, you cannot marry them together. So what, are the, what is the Russell Wilson offense going to look like in Denver? Oh, buddy, nobody's got any freaking clue. It's as we, we, we know what Russ does. Russ is going to hold onto the ball and throw it deep down the field they're inevitably going to end up there. Like, that's going to be the final form. It's going to be Russ holding the ball for a long time and chucking beautiful, gorgeous, unparalleled moon balls 60 yards down the field to Cortland Sutton. They're going to have those explosive plays. It's going to be there. How they get to that destination is so unclear. It was unbelievable doing the reading. And, like, anytime they talk about this offense, like, yeah, baby, it's the Russ offense. We're just going to spread it out and go tempo and go under center, run play action. We're going to cross everything. That's all the things there are. That's every single thing that's ever been in an <laughs> offense. That's not real. And so you, you have right now a huge question mark in terms of what 
like like the the actual big switches, what the the characters, what the 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 identifiers of this offense are going to be. And accordingly, I think we're just going to end up back where we always were, which is Russ, you know, uh, lining up on a center, running play action shots and throwing the ball down the field, ignoring the middle of the field. Then when Russ is in shotgun, we're going to see him, you know, go like throw a quick game pass. Right. And like, you know, like, like be accurate in the short areas, but then also randomly hold onto the ball and try to break pressure and try to create a play down the field. Even when he shouldn't, he's not supposed to like the idea that, the Russell Wilson offense in Denver will look different than things that we've typically seen in Seattle in varying degrees. He was there for like a decade is to me erroneous. This is going to be the Seattle offense with different people and with different names and with like better vibes, but Russ is Russ. He plays the way he plays. And I'm not sure how you get him out of that. Steven, you're nodding your head. You're Pete Carroll here. You spent your whole career with, you know, uh, you should in theory know Russ's game better than anyone. So, I'm curious how you feel about Solik's analysis, but also how you're going to stop Russell Wilson. I, I think you stop Russell Wilson the same way we've seen other teams stop Russell Wilson over the last couple of years. And that's just playing the type of coverage where you put a ceiling on a defense and we dare you to throw over the ceiling. You put a ceiling on a defense? Wow. On, on the coverage, on the coverage, <laughs> whatever. I don't, what does I don't that know. mean? Ceiling like, coverage. We're playing shell coverage. We're playing with two safeties deep. We're playing soft on the outside with the corners. Like we're playing cover four quarters coverage. We're just we're stopping the vertical routes downfield. We're cut, so no explosive we're, plays, like no, no explosive throws. plays, and we're forcing Russ to read out the defense in front of that that shell on, on the coverage. We're forcing him to read over the middle of the field, and that's just something he's never been able to do. And just to Solak's point about the offense not looking like what what I guess Hackett envisions the offense being, because I feel like Hackett isn't like, oh yeah, we're just giving it to Russ. Hackett feels like. It's going to be my offense with Russ's signature on it. Yeah. But the offense we saw him running in Green Bay looked nothing like the offense that we've heard Russ wants. Like, this is there a was critical a, point. There was an interview with KJ Wright from uh, earlier in the offseason, the former Seahawks linebacker, who he was talking about like what Russ was always asking for on the sideline, and it was tempo. Tempo. I just want tempo. I want to get and to this, the line. Like, be- this tempo thing, by the way, came out of freaking nowhere. Nowhere. I, I, I DM'd the greatest Seahawks source of all time at C Mike spin move, who is just the biggest Seahawks fan I've ever known. And the hugest football guy ever just like knows everything about the game. And I was like, Hey, do you know where this Russ tempo thing came from? Like, is there like a thing I can read from like 2018 where like they're doing tempo? And he was like, Nope, nobody knows. Just, just like decided last this off season. Yeah. It, tempo time, baby. Where right, well, the, the tempo thing? on the, the tempo on this pod here is also a little out of sync. Cause I think we skipped over like a key point, which is Steven, you're saying you guys both basically agreed. Russ just doesn't hit the easy stuff that the defense is hitting in the middle of the field. Like, are you basically saying Russ is too short to see the if, middle of the field and hit the easy stuff? Like, we glossed over that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And when we talk about, like, this, this wide zone offense, this outside zone offense that Hackett likes to run, like, that needs to be ran from under center. Like, you can kind of jerry-rig it to, to fit a quarterback that prefers shotgun. We saw that in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. But Aaron Rodgers, like, Russell Wilson isn't Aaron Rodgers. He can't do yeah. the thing Aaron Rodgers does. And this, even with Aaron Rodgers, they were 11th in early down pass rate. So it's not like they were letting Aaron Rodgers cook, so to speak, as much as you would expect an MVP type quarterback. They were 31st in pace. So they weren't giving Aaron Rodgers tempo, but they're going to give Russell Wilson tempo. Whatever this offense is going to be, it's going to look nothing like the offense that Hackett ran in Green Bay. And then my question is, okay, so why did you hire him? Obviously, they hired him before they they got Russ, but I I just don't think this marriage is going to work as well as people seem to think it's going to work, especially with a, a coach that doesn't have a lot of clout. Like, I feel like Russ has more power in that building than Hackett does. Yeah. 
I honestly think the run rate versus pass rate thing is just simply like the most, it's a total red herring in this conversation, right? In the sense that like, would the Seahawks offense have been better over the course of 10 years with Russell Wilson if they passed it more and ran it less? Probably. Like I'm, I will, I will acquiesce to you that net in the sense that like passing is more effective than running. Passing creates more explosives than running. They get more first downs when you throw the football. Like, yeah, that is 100% true. But when we talk about like Russ in Denver, any suggestion of like, oh, well, like, you know, what, what's going to be part of the offense? They're going to throw the ball in early downs more. Okay. But now we're comparing apples to oranges. Like whether or not the offense works in Denver is not so much conditional on like, all right, are they passing it more than Seattle did on first and 10? But rather, like, are they able to get Russ to the spot Seattle got him to in terms of, like, the deep ball stuff? Because it took opposing defenses a long, long, long time to get a ceiling on top of a Russell Wilson offense, right? Like, we were, Russ was a near elite quarterback and not an elite quarterback for, like, eight seasons before it was like, oh, wow, like, defense have really figured out how to cap this deep ball. And even then, a lot of it was, like, variance and offensive line stuff, right? Even then, a lot of it was just, like, the deep ball is inherently... A, a peaks and valleys thing, right? Like, you know, it's like big rewards and, and big losses. And then also the Seahawks offensive line, which wasn't the whole problem, like got a little bit worse in 2019, 2020. And that was part of the issue. So like when it, when, like, when you look into what like the, the Broncos are going to do and people are like, oh, they're going to pass the ball like 65% of the time in early downs. To me, that doesn't really like mean anything. I don't think that makes the offense work. I think what's going to make the offense work is if whatever Nate Hackett saw happen in Green Bay slash did in Green Bay, where Aaron Rodgers was a frustrated quarterback who wanted to hunt big plays, who was stuck in an offense that he thought didn't work for him, Mike McCarthy, right? It was all short stuff, all underneath stuff. And they got him to buy into a system that said, hey, you're going to have to take the short stuff. You're going to have to take the layups. You're going to have to take the middle of the field stuff when we give it to you, all the easy play action stuff. But if you do, we will be able to get you to your plays, get you to your spots. Like you're Aaron Rodgers. You want to like make the first guy miss in the pocket and then roll out to your left and find a guy fourth progression all the way down the field and hit him. And they got Rodgers to buy in. You need to get Russ to buy in to the idea that he has to throw the layups. He has to throw the open receivers when they're open on second and eight to stay ahead of the sticks, to keep possession of the ball, to keep your defense off the field, to set up a kill shot later in the game, to set up a, set up a kill shot on third quarter. Because the 2021 Seahawks with Waldron tried to give him the layups. He did not take him, right? And accordingly, this offense fell away in efficacy even before and with the kind of finger injury calculated in. So a lot of what the Russ offense is going to look like in Denver isn't, isn't like conditional on football stuff. It's not conditional like, are you pressing the pass button on first down instead of the run button? It's, how are you managing the individual? How are you getting 34-year-old, legacy-obsessed, I need an MVP vote, I need a Super Bowl, I need to prove to the Seahawks that they're wrong quarterback, Russell Wilson, how are you going to get that guy to be comfortable just letting K.J. Hamler do work for him? Just throw an eight-yard crosser to K.J. Hamler and let him go run for 15 yards. You have to be comfortable doing that in this offense. It's one of the reasons I'm very, very worried about this game is because I think Russ in Seattle in the first game after the Seahawks traded him, is going to be very much oriented on making a point. And when Russell Wilson is oriented on making points, he throws a lot of balls very far down the field, very late in the down. And that is not the way this offense can work. Here's the reason why I think that matters for this game. Like the, the, the Russ offense stuff versus the Hackett offense and what it should be when it looks right. If 
when we saw Seattle play this offense last year, they gave Aaron Rodgers, it was his second worst game of the season last year. And they basically took away the shotgun run game and they took away the deep stuff and they forced Green Bay to go under center. And I mean, Green Bay was capable of doing it, but obviously it didn't work. It was one of Aaron Rodgers' worst games by QBR. If they have similar success against the shotgun stuff, against a Russ offense, there is no under center plan B. It doesn't work. Because he's too short to just do because all that stuff. He's not, not comfortable under center and he's not comfortable under center. He's not comfortable yeah. dropping back and reading the defense when he's that close to the offensive line. Cause the offensive line is so big. You like, he needs that, that field of vision that shotgun provides and under center doesn't provide. And so I really think this comes down to Denver winning one-on-one matchups and the one-on-one, one-on-one matchup they have to win is Cortland Sutton versus whoever covers him, whether it's Tyreek, Tariq Woolen or Mike Jackson, or if they go with vets, it, there's still some question marks about who's going to play cornerback for the Seahawks. They have yeah. Sidney Jones and Artie Burns, which aren't players you necessarily want to rely on. But I really think that's where it comes to. When they isolate Cortland Sutton, if he can win one-on-one and win some deep balls downfield, I think the Broncos score a lot of points. If Seattle finds a way to kind of shut down that matchup and, and prevent Sutton from getting service from Russell Wilson, man, I, I don't know if they score more than 20 points. Yeah, critically, Seattle is in a new defense this year, right? So ex-defense coordinator Ken Norton Jr. gone. Uh, Ex-defensive line coach Clint Hurd has now been promoted to defensive coordinator. They brought in uh, more Vic Fangio influence in Sean Desai, who's the ex-Bears defense coordinator, and then also Carl Scott, who is a college guy. He worked with Dave Aranda, who's now at Baylor, worked with Nick Saban in Alabama. They are working on split field, match quarters, all these like you know buzzy phrases that you hear. Basically, they're going to live in a split field safety world, too high, instead of a single high world, which is what they've been for the last decade, right? Cover three, Legion of Boom. They're, they are changing philosophically what they want to be on defense. That is going to invite, especially when you consider the potential of playing at least one, if not two rookie corners, confusion. And Russ, who is not the best pre-snap processor at quarterback, he tends to just kind of like be like, yeah, I can beat this team. Vibes, snap the ball. Is a really good post-snap processor at quarterback. Is really, really good at figuring out that guy's beat. Here we go. Right? Like, you know, like I I have room to make this throw. I have the tempo to make this throw. I have the time. I, I can avoid this rush or whatever. So if you start getting coverage busts, if you start getting young guys making easy mistakes, week one of the season, very, very loud environment, that's where I think Denver's gonna have edges. This is a much more veteran and established team on offense, even with new quarterback, new offense, than what they're facing on defense. Same thing goes for defense, though, in terms of being supercharged up. Like there's a reality in which this game gets away from Denver very quickly because the Seahawks defense is, if they're going to win one game this year, it's this game that they want to win. The, the, the emotional charge for this game is enormous. So flipping to the other side of the ball for one second, Stephen, you're Pete Carroll here. I know you actually love Geno Smith, but like, what's the actual difference between the Russell Wilson Seahawks offense and what we're going to see with Geno? Uh, I think that we're going to see like what Shane Waldron probably envisioned running with with Russell Wilson, which is something that looks similar to the Rams. Like that's, that's where they like got away from what Shane Waldron was supposed to do was they acquiesced to Russ's just what he needs to succeed on offense. And it's basically the opposite of what the Rams were doing when Waldron was there, which is under center outside zone. And I think that's like, that's obviously the key to the offense, but I think you actually need that to work for the rest of the offense to work. Like if that doesn't work, then the play, the, the passing game doesn't work either. And I think they're going to get back to it. We've heard Rashad Penny during the offseason say, yeah, we're going to be under center running those concepts. And those are the concepts I like to run the most. And we saw when Gino was in there, they kind of started 
transitioning to that type of offense and it worked like Rashad Penny was one of the best running backs in the league last year because they kind of switched up the offense late in the year. And I expect that to continue. So why there, while there is like this huge gap between Russ and Gino, obviously Russ is a way better quarterback. I think switching those two kind of gives the scheme a boost that makes up for that gap. So I don't think the gap, the fall off is as dramatic as people might think. Well, the Broncos are a touchdown favorite in this game. And yet after hearing all this, you're basically saying, the drop-off from Russ to Gino isn't that big when you consider the advantages Gino can bring and that the Seahawks are going to basically take away the uh, big plays from Russ and that Russ is not good at checking down and taking what the defense gives him. So, like, are you saying the Seahawks should, you know, shouldn't be the underdogs by as much as they are? Am I misunderstanding? I think, yes. I think that the Seahawks uh, as a six-point dog is too much, right? I think that, like, the offense has to be different but Gino does not represent as big of a drop-off from Russ, assuming the offense has changed to accommodate Gino. So I agree with right. that. If the offense has changed to accommodate Gino in that way, the Broncos' defense is the sort of defense that you want to face this offense, right? And so the explosion of like, oh, the Brandon Staley defense in 2020, like, oh, we're going to play too high, right? Like these things that just get thrown around willy-nilly. Why does this defense matter? Why are we all talking about it all the time for the past two years? It's because Sean McVay went to hire a defensive coordinator who could stop his offense, who is a guy who has successfully stopped what I can do. And let's get that dude in the building. He hired Brandon Staley, who is an ex-defensive coordinator under Vic Fangio, or an ex-defensive coach, excuse me, under Vic Fangio, and Staley said, all right, let's build it this way. And he and McVay worked together. They stole stuff from college. They did Fangio stuff. They stole stuff from other places. And they kind of built this quarter-style split-field defense that is all about responding to intermediate crossers, all about being able to fill against play action. We talked about how to run play pass, you have to be under center as a quarterback, turn your back to the defense, fake the run, and then turn your head back to the defense and throw the football. This defense, philosophically, like at the core, says we are going to show you a different picture after the snap. So if we're showing you one or two high safeties and you turn your back to fake a run, we're going to change who's standing where so that when you return your head around, nothing is as it seemed, right? That defensive style has now exploded because it was successful in stopping this offense. And one of those offshoots, Ajiro Evero, is the new defensive coordinator of the Broncos. Previously, this was Vic Fangio, so they already know the system. They've been running this for a while with a lot, a lot of success. Justin Simmons is the exact sort of safety you need to do this. He has Kareem Jackson. Pat Sertan is your outside corner. He's the exact sort of guy you need to do this. You need defensive linemen like Draymond Jones and, and DJ Jones, who they got from San Francisco this year. Like, this is a really, really good defense for this approach. And while the Seahawks have some star players on offense, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, the Broncos have the necessary players in Pat Sertan and Quan Williams to handle those receivers. So I think that I agree with you. The Seahawks should not be as low. It should not be a six-point spread. They should be closer to the Broncos. But I think even more critically, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think that even though Geno is better than people realize, this defense is well-suited to stopping the Sean McVay-inspired Shane Waldron offense. And then the other side of the ball, we think Seattle's going to be able to give Russ trouble because... They know Russ really, really well and what he does and what he doesn't do. So to me, this game gets low scoring. It gets ugly. It gets conditional on turnovers. And that makes for some fun Monday night football viewing in Lumen Field. That's what makes this so exciting. Yeah, I would agree with that. I like it. I'm making the case for the, the Seahawks, but it still comes down to those young corners. And I really think that's a mismatch for the in, in Denver's favor. And I agree mm -hmm. that I think it's a sloppy game. I think it's like 20 to 17. I would take the yeah. under and I would take 
the Seahawks. So you're taking Sir Patrick Sertain for Denver over DK Metcalf. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, DK Metcalf is an extremely good player. Very, very good. But you know what routes he's going to run. And Pat Sertan is about as good of an athlete as you find a corner. He's also wicked smart. Wicked smart. And so the ability to say, all right, I kind of know what Metcalf's route tree is. I can cheat on the vertical stuff because he can't really break off, you know, hard cuts and changes of direction. And then I get to kind of read a quarterback like Gino, who, while good, while better than people think, projects his throws at times, forces windows at times, is certainly an interceptable quarterback. Yeah. Pat Sertan is a very, very, very good player. And it won't just be week one against DK where he gets to introduce that to people. He's going to be good all season. Just a final thought on this game. I do think it's like a nice proving ground for the Russ's losing mobility talk. Because if the if the Seahawks do play a lot of this like match coverage, which basically plays out like man coverage, and in man coverage, the defensive backs turn their back to the pocket. They don't have eyes on the quarterback. So it's mm-hmm. easier to scramble. I think Russ getting outside of the pocket is going to be a big deal for this matchup, and we'll see if he's capable of doing it like he was in 2018, 2017. Do you think Russ is slowing down? Yes. Yeah. You, like, you see it in, in the career, numbers. He was running all over. He would scramble. He would do everything. And like that was his defining play. It's like what Kyler Murray does now. Do you feel like Russ doesn't have that? Like, how do, do you think that that's a serious? Is that why Seattle traded him? He's not that kind of athlete anymore. Uh, that's what was reported by ESPN this week. And I Brady think Henderson, yeah. and it shows up in the numbers. Like he's not making as many big time throws down the field from outside the pocket. His scrambles aren't as successful as they were. He's not scrambling as much. He's getting sacked more often when under pressure. It, the numbers are all there. The numbers suggest it. Now, could that be an injury thing? Maybe. Could that be a new offensive offense thing last year? Maybe. So that's why I still have a question mark. And we'll get our first answer on Monday night. Kick off week one with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code RINGERNFL to get in on the action, and you can turn game day into payday all season long. Love FanDuel because you can look up bets like, will the Chiefs go over or under 30 points this week? Steven's wrong. They're going to go over. Play your way and bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Kansas. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with the promo code RINGERNFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, one 800 Next step or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org/chat Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Tennessee Redline is 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, now we're going into our next segment, predicting Monday morning's headlines. Steven and Solak know so much about football that I actually think they can see the future. I have actually seen them do it. So we're going to make them predict what everyone's main takeaway is going to be after the Sunday games, but we're going to make them do it before the Sunday games. So, Solak, the Buccaneers, Tom Brady are playing the Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys, Sunday night football. What is going to be the Monday morning headline after Bucks cowboys Monday morning headline. Cowboys, Buccaneers, Dak beats the final boss. The Dallas Cowboys have never beaten Tom Brady. Brady's currently 6-0 against the Dallas Cowboys, five games with the Patriots, and then one game with the Buccaneers. Anybody who's like thinking to themselves, week one, Cowboys, Buccaneers, that feels familiar. Yeah, it was the Thursday night game last year. It was how we opened the season. Uh, ended 31-29. Tom Brady had a game-winning drive to beat the Cowboys. Uh, beautiful game for both quarterbacks. Dak was 42 for 58 for 400 yards healthy uh three touchdowns one pick brady was 32 for 50 379 and four touchdowns and two interceptions do you guys have a guess as to what the spread was in that game before kickoff six cowboys buccaneers half. last year six bucks and a half minus bucks. four bucks minus 10 bucks for bucks 10, minus 10 bucks for 10 point favorites coming into that game this game right now the bucks are like one and a half to two point favorites depending where you look at it expected to be a lot more even i think there's a few reasons for that. Michael Gallup apparently might play, even though Michael Gallup has said that Michael Gallup will not play. That was like a couple weeks ago. Now he's practicing live, so that's weird. But getting Gallup back is huge because the Cowboys obviously lost Amari Cooper. They'd be going with CeeDee Lamb and then like the rookie Jalen Tolbert with Dalton Schultz. They'd be a little bit undermanned. They have the Tyron Smith injury, so left tackle right now is starting Tulsa rookie Tyler Smith, who's not Tyron Smith. Their names are very similar, but they are different, and I said it correctly. So they have, they have the holes there on offense for the Cowboys, but the Buccaneers have their own holes. We don't even know who's starting at left guard and center right now for Tampa Bay. So there's like some uncertainty. But I think the other big part of why this game is projected to be a closer spread and why I think the Cowboys can win it is because Dak is just ludicrously good against the Blitz. And this was a game last year where if you remember, like Dak was just taking shots to the ribs, right? He was just like fending dudes, obviously like elbowing safeties as they come in and like just throwing like, 15-yard dots before the receiver even breaks because Todd Bowles would not stop dialing up pressure on Dak. And Dak just remains one of, if not the league's best quarterback against the Blitz. Last year when Blitz, 28.6% of dropbacks, Dak threw 21 touchdowns to four picks. The next closest quarterback in terms of scoring output was at 14. I had an 8 out of 8.8, which was above average, and a sack rate, uh, rate of 13.6, which is below league average. So he's throwing the ball deeper down the field and taking fewer sacks on blitz than other quarterbacks. And he also threw for 21 touchdowns. His ability against the blitz is unbelievable. And this game for Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers should be like more of the Super Bowl two years ago, where it's like, listen, the offensive line's so bad. Don't blitz. You're helping. You just got to only rush with four and drop seven. But I think it took like a whole two weeks for Tampa Bay to convince Todd Bowles to do that. And I don't think you're going to get the same like attention on this game and bespoke game plan just coming into week one. I think we get a blitz every game from Todd Bowles, and I think Dak absolutely eats it alive. Even without Amari Cooper there, this is where he's at his strongest. I think the Cowboys are going to be like really up and down this year, but week one, haven't beat Brady yet. Remembering the feelings from last year's week one, I think they get the win. 
Take that, Shannon Sharp. <laughs> Wait, we should have we should have we should have called an audible and given this game to Steven. He's got a bone to pick with the undisputed cast. Uh, you you want to take a moment, Steven, to call out Shannon Sharp? Go for it. This is good no, good no. for our first pot. Of the season. I don't need to do like that. He doesn't. He does. He clearly doesn't know ball. He would take her cousins over Dak Prescott. It's just a ridiculous statement. But uh, no, I got no beef. Is with that Shannon. what he said? I'm not up on the whole. Um, oh yeah, they talked about my quarterback rankings. He and Shannon took issue. They talked about Dak. your rankings. Yeah, and Shannon took yeah. issue with Dak being ranked seventh. Can we play the Shannon Sharp clip on this pod? So Steven's quarterback rankings are up. If you go to the ringer.com, Steven's ranking quarterbacks every single week. He's good at like ranking the best quarterbacks, which is such a great ranking, and Steven does amazing work. But Shannon thinks you're dumb. So what did you, so let's play the Shannon clip. Hell, I'm not so sure that count that that he's the seventh best quarterback in the NFC, let alone the entire league. Mm. Stop this. Skip and they say, well, he's great at pre-snap read. What good is that? Skip, you ever taken a test? Man, I can't believe I got that wrong. I knew the answer. What good are you doing the answer if you got it wrong? What good is a pre-snap read if you can't do it? Mm. Steven, respond. So so Shannon brought up the pre-snap thing. I gave Dak a high, a high grade for his pre-snap reads. Solak just laid out all the evidence for that. Because you try to blitz him, he's going to figure it out and, and kill you. Watch the tape, Shannon. Watch the tape. That's all I'm saying. And Shannon says like, oh, what good is it if you're not, if you're making the wrong decision after the snap, read those stats back. So like, he's not making the wrong decision after the snap. He's making the right decision most of the time. So I don't know. Watch tape, look up the numbers, learn ball, Shannon. Shannon Sharp, learn ball. Remember when Shannon Sharp criticized AJ Brown and then AJ Brown was like, who are you? And then Shannon Sharp was like, I'm a hall of famer. And AJ Brown was like, my bad, my bad. But Steve, Do you remember like, when Shannon care. Sharp called Julio Jones and was like, do you want to be traded? And oh, Julio yeah. Jones was like, yeah. And then later it was like, oh, and by the way, that was on broadcast television. Yeah. And, and right. by the way, I'm just joking. Shannon Sharp, I think he does know yeah, ball. Coward. He's just wrong about this one thing. He's wrong. About, I, I don't care. Disappointing. <sighs> New goal is we're going to get either get Shannon Sharp on the show. We're going to get Steven on, on, on TV. To argue Anybody Shannon have Julio Sharp. Jones phone number? That's how we start. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we should call. We'll just call him right now. Okay. Next game. Raiders are at the Chargers. This is actually how we ended last season. The regular season with like the Chargers having that incredible Justin Herbert game. And then they just they ran for it on fourth down. Ever got mad at Brandon Staley. Steven, you're obsessed with Justin Herbert. What do you think the Monday morning headline is after Raiders Chargers? I actually cheated on this one, and uh, Meg Schuster, my editor, already wrote this headline. The headline is we Justin. Can call, Her- we can phone in friends. This Justin Herbert. N- no, Justin Herbert is known for his arm, but his mental game may be even better. It's You're an article using I wrote a two of an weeks ago. You wrote weeks ago. You know this- how hard I worked on having halfway decent headlines. I would be made fun of again. Oh, I'm my other one. My, my other one's are- not hard. At my other show. one's original. My other one's original. It's a banger, but. I'm saying that because instead of reading all the glowing pieces, you're going to read about Justin Herbert when he carries the Chargers to a win. You could just go back and read my article. But really, I think J.C. Jackson being out is a big, big deal. They kind of they don't get to do the coverage things that I think they expected. Well, wait, wait, before to- we do J.C. Jackson, what did your article say? Like, like, what's your point with Herbert? The mental game. He's just amazing. Like, it doesn't matter. He's going to be under pressure, obviously, because I, I still have question marks about the right tackle spot. And we saw the Raiders exploit that in the, the week 18 game last year. He's going to have to overcome that with quick decision making. I think he might see a few more blitzes. The Raiders obviously changed their defensive coordinator. They went to Patrick Graham, who's a little more, I would say, a little more sneaky. Like, he disguises his stuff. He, he yep. sends more blitzes than Gus Bradley. Uh, the problem is they have only Gus Bradley players in the building. It's tough to run schemes when you got Gus Bradley players, baby. 
that's the issue. But that's also why I think Justin Herbert is just going to go off. I don't think it's going to yeah. be an issue at all because he is so smart and he's able to make those quick reactions. But really, I think he's going to have to because I think the defense is going to really struggle. We've seen Josh McDaniels have success against Brandon Staley's defense last year. I thought he did a good job of, of figuring out matchups and creating one-on-one throws downfield. And without J.C. Jackson, you can't do the coverage stuff. Like, you can't push the coverage to what the overloaded side. You have to double Devontae Adams. Is that That's going to make it harder to cover Renfro. That's going to make it harder to cover Waller. They just don't have a guy that could stop Devontae. Now, at the end of the day, I think Justin Herbert's going to do enough, and they're going to win, though. I mean, is there an offense that, like, if it's third and four, is there an offense with better just pass catchers than the no. Raiders? I mean, Devontae, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro on third down, it's pretty incredible. No. We talk so much of, about this league being like a too high like zone league, but on third down, it's still cover one, yep. man coverage. You have to be able to beat man coverage, and the Raiders Chargers have... played more cover two man last year than any other team. It was not even remotely close. Second was like a mile away, right? Which is just them saying, we need to be able to play man coverage, but it's still too high. <laughs> uh, do you guys... Okay, so Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams. Let's play the name, the Raiders wide receiver three game. Ready, go. <sighs> Uh, I should be able to do this, and it is. It's I have no idea. I have no idea. So it's apparently in terms of depth chart, it's Mac Collins, ex Dolphin and Eagle core special teamer. Apparently, Tyron Johnson of being cut by the Chargers and then also the Jaguars' fame is also on the roster and maybe will be like their field stretcher. All of this to say, to borrow a term from like the fantasy world about fragile builds. The Raiders have a great receiving core. If one person goes down, I have no idea how this is supposed to work. The depth is abysmal. And and that doesn't get into how they're deep. They just, you know, cut all their players that John Gruden had. So, you know, Stop that'll them. help. All right. I'm very interested in this next game. Chiefs are playing at Arizona. Steven, what is going to be the Monday morning headline after Chiefs Cardinals? I went with like a New York Post style headline, like a pun. It's yeah, you Kansas- gas this one up, so let's hear it. Kansas City. You I want to die. Like um, defense, Kansas City, because I think the defense, I think the the narrative is going to is going to be the defense might be the thing that carries them to the Super Bowl because I think they're going to have a fantastic game and I think they're going to need it because I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs' offense comes out sputtering. What? What? What I, the Chiefs? The Chiefs in September are like the best team in the NFL. Like Andy Reid has the most points since he got hired, and Patrick they don't have Tyree Kill anymore. I'm just saying. Well, that's why I'm curious because Patrick Mahomes in September is 41 touchdowns and three picks. So no, I, I think this is uh, this might be a tough matchup for the Chiefs. Vance Joseph, like I'm, I say success relatively speaking, but he had some success against this offense when he was with Denver, compared to the talent he had to work with. And this is just like a vibes defense, man. I think he's just going to blitz the hell out of them. I think he's going to, he has no problem like loading the line of scrimmage and daring you to beat him deep. And I don't know if the chiefs have the players right now or have the mechanisms figured out already to beat this type of defense. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's an ugly game. I'm stunned. And- so obviously Tyree kills gone, but they have Juju. They signed Valdez Scantling from green Bay. They have sky Moore. I, now granted, I don't think those guys are that good, but don't the Cardinals have the worst cornerback group in the league? Like, I mean, this is a team that's going to play, I forget his name, the Raiders cornerback they got for a seventh-round pick a week ago. And their other, their second-best cornerback. Trayvon Mullen, baby. Yeah, Trayvon Mullen. We're just naming Raiders players on this podcast. Oh, heck yeah. Just Ron Harmon? Mm. 
I just don't think the it's going to matter. The quarterback was cooking in the kitchen and burned himself with oil and gave him second degree burns. Like they don't have anyone to play defense in the Cardinals. They have Vance Joseph and he's just going to, he's going to take his like Madden like approach to calling defense. And I think it's going to give the chiefs problems. And if we assume that the chiefs do lean into this, like more under center, more run heavy looks, 21 personnel, 12 personnel. I feel like that's like the perfect offense for the type of defense Vance Joseph plays. Like he loves being in base. He loves keeping his linebackers out on the field when you go three wide. So if you try Steven to play the- praising a man who loves to keep his linebackers on the field, it would never be <laughs> me. I simply would not. So if you want to play this base offense type game, Vance Joseph is like, oh yeah, that's, that's my game. So let's see it. Let's see this new Chiefs uh, offense go up against this team, I think it's just a bad matchup and it's so early in the season. Like, I'm not confident that Andy Reid is already going to have the answers. But I think the Chiefs are going to win the game because Steve Spagnola going up against uh, Cliff Kingsbury without Rodney Hudson playing. He's possibly out. He's a game time decision. That's a recipe for disaster with no DeAndre Hopkins to, like, deter you from playing cover zero and just blitzing the hell out of him. I could see Kyler Murray getting sacked like six times. So there's two things I want to say here. Number one. Firstly, I love the suggestion that the Kansas City offense struggles in week one and the headline is going to be about anything but that, right? Oh, Kansas City. No, they're going to write about Mahomes not playing well. It's the only thing in the world anybody wants to write about. The writers don't write headlines. We're not headline writers. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is why the three of us doing this on this podcast is an extremely ill-conceived notion. Regardless, how do we feel about no J.J. Watt? Because Watt has had COVID for like two weeks now and did not practice today as of recording Thursday last year uh, from weeks one to eight, which is before the JJ Watt injury, the Arizona Cardinals were the second best defense in the league in terms of EPA per play uh, allowed. And in terms of success rate allowed, they were the 12th best defense in the league. Then Watt went down and second and 12th went to 18th and 20th across the course of the next few weeks. I have like a tweet about it from like week 12 or week 13. I don't know what their final numbers were, but I remember the end of that season when they lost to the lions, it was not good. This defense without Watt, does not work, which is a very concerning thing in terms of <laughs> mid thirties, generally washed defensive ends being the corner pieces of your approach. No, I think that's a valid point because he was so key to what they did last year when they were going good, just creating those tackle for losses, creating those negative yeah. plays, getting offenses player. in third and long. But I think if you give Vance Joseph a whole offseason to prepare for this game, he could find other ways of doing that. I don't know if Vance Joseph... I'm so lost on this Vance Joseph point because J.J. Watt with the COVID, there's no like, there's no way he's coming back from not practicing to like 70 snaps, right? Marcus Gold and the other pass rushers also just banged up. He's got like a toe injury. Like, I, like, I guess, why are we trusting Vance Joseph to outdo Reed and Mahomes instead of saying Andy Reed and Mahomes are going to rock this Cardinals defense that already has like basically five guys down out of the 11 they want to play because I think they're I think there are going to be growing pains for this offense like it's not easy just to flip the switch and be like this is what we are now we're a totally different type of offense we get explosive plays in a totally different way our base offense looks totally different it that's hard it takes time it takes reps it takes live game reps you don't this isn't Madden where you just change your playbook before the game and all of a sudden your offense is is perfect so you think so, the Tyree Kill loss is huge? Like, so like, do you agree with Steven that the Tyree Kill obviously it's a for big a couple loss, months you, for a couple months? Yeah, I'm actually okay. very interested in this because I think Steven and I disagree on the scale to which the Chiefs are going to change what they are schematically, X's and O's, to adjust for the loss of personnel, Tyree Kill. Because it's very clear that they are doing more under center, I formation, multiple tight ends. Talk about condensed formations, right? Formation width is a really important thing that doesn't get talked about a lot. 
How spread out are you? <laughs> Should we do like a public service announcement and like get some <laughs> like those little like things like adopt these dogs yeah. from a shelter also yeah, yeah. formation it, with. Right. It's, just like, it's like it's like little grayed out videos passing across the screen of somebody being like EPA per play, play action. And then like I fade in and I'm like, have you heard about formation width? But formation width, which is just generally how often are you spread out? How often do you have multiple receivers on the field? How far out are those receivers? Like, do you remember when the McVay offense first dawned and everybody was like, guys, this is freaking nuts. He's in 11 personnel. So he has three receivers on the field but they're all close to the tackles. Whoa. It was a condensed formation. He, you bring guys tight to line of scrimmage, tight to the, the ball, right? Tight, tight to the center. They're closer to the middle of the field so that you can run outbreaking routes, but also so those guys can get involved in blocking. And the Chiefs have historically been one of the most spready teams. Bills, Chiefs, and Cardinals spread. Wide receivers outside of the numbers. Wide receivers in the slot. Everybody's extended away from the middle of the field. And off of preseason, off the way they talk about it, it seems like they're going to be more condensed. Like a thing that a juju does is he lets you put a receiver on the field who can be tight to the ball and block. Juju's always been a really, really good blocker. I think that that is them developing like a changeup. I think it's them being a really good fastball pitcher and they need their changeup to be better to get batters to whiff. I don't really know if that's how baseball works. I don't watch baseball, but <laughs> metaphor works. Steven, the way you're talking about it makes it seem like they're just fundamentally changing their base offense. They're going to live in this and then the the, the counterpunch is going to be when they spread out. Uh... I wouldn't go that far. I just think there are going to be some early downs that they burn trying to do this stuff. And it just plays into the type of defense that Vance Joseph likes to play. I think there's going to be, they're going to win the game. They're going to score like 21 points. I just don't think it's going to look pretty. And we're going to be like, this doesn't look like the Super Bowl winning Chiefs. If this were me, my Monday morning headline would have been the Chiefs score 40 points and it's Tyreek who that's honestly, but we'll see. We'll see. We could, is there anything we want to put on this? We'll come That's back a good one. I was literally about to check right now uh, the Chiefs team totals. Let's take a look. All right. Chiefs team points. 30.5. That Vegas is expecting 30.5 points from the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Steven, you're taking the under? I'll take the under. All right. I'm taking the over. I'm taking what are we wagering on this? I'll bet my, my avatar, my Twitter avatar on it. I don't know if I care about this enough for an avatar bet. I mean, you I'll bet about- Steven's on it. You care enough about your Twitter avatar to not make the bet? <laughs> I, if, if, I, if the Chiefs score fewer than 30 and a half points, I will retweet my po, my po tweet so as to put it back into the <laughs> national discourse. Okay. At a time okay. of your choosing. Yeah. All right. That works. Okay. Yeah. So like, you're, you're going to have to try out for the Ravens mascot at some point or, you know, maybe get yourself in the English. The Ravens have succession. my phone number. Call there me at go. any time. Please don't okay. call me. We're going to make them call you. All right. Next game here. Packers are playing the Vikings. I mean, it's kind of, this is an extension of the same conversation, right? We're talking about the Chiefs. What's their offense without Tyree Kill? Packers are now going to Minnesota. They don't have Devontae Adams. Solak, what is the Monday morning headline after Packers-Vikings? It is an extension. And this is, this is a good headline. By good, I mean terrible, but it makes me laugh. Adams stepped out. Lazard stepped on. Jones steps up. That's wordplay, baby. Uh, is this a headline? Would you yes. click on that? Absolutely. Because of the step theme. I don't know. And no, whatever it. I repetition. It. We get Devontae it. Adams, it's just bad. I, I, yeah, it's no, I got tremendous. It. Devontae Adams is gone. Alan Lazard legitimately has been stepped on. Alan Lazard did not practice on Thursday. The Packers are not detailing what his injury is. They're not like he has a broken bone. 
but they have revealed that he was stepped on. Somebody stepped on him, which like cleats hurt. I agree, but like eh, it's football. He's getting the Zapruder film for this. Yeah. Wait, yes. wait, 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 wait. If the Chiefs score under thirty, I get to step on you instead, since it's so. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I should. Okay. I'm, I can step on your know. foot in cleats. I don't know how you feel about the glee. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like, like the enthusiasm you have for this, but I accept. <laughs> okay. Uh, Alan Lazard's been stepped on, so he did not practice on Thursday. It is unclear if he's going to be good to go and play in this game. However, something that I've been long thinking about that I think will be even further magnified in this game is the way that Aaron Jones gets to be used in the passing game. Aaron Jones is a really, really, really good receiving back. Always has been. It can be hard for really good receiving backs to get visibility when they have really, really good quarterbacks, especially really, really good play extenders, which is what Aaron Rodgers is, because the quarter, the running back targets typically come as a function of a quarterback checking it down, right? If you are not intentionally scheming a running back target, that's how they're going to get the ball. It's going to be checking it down. And Rodgers, he checks down a, a, a fair amount, but he's really, really good at pushing the ball down the field and hitting tight windows and yada, yada, whatever. Over the course of last season, you saw the... Packers get a little bit more intentional about throwing the ball to Aaron Jones. And critically, over the course of his career, when Devontae Adams doesn't play, Rodgers uses Jones a ton. We heard Rodgers talk so much about how much he needs to trust his receivers be in the right spots. We have a bunch of young receivers, young tight ends. They may not be, but Aaron Jones is a pro. He's always where you expect him to be, and he does a good job with the ball. In career games without Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones averages four and a half catches on six targets, 5.9 targets, at 10.8 yards a pop. Those numbers over a 17-game season would be 76 catches on 100 targets for 826 yards, which would be a really, really good receiving season for a running back. I don't think you see that, certainly. But I do think that what you've heard, uh, Rogers talked about the potential of Jones and Dylan being 50-50 backs, the first duo in league history to both catch 50 balls out of the backfield. And, like, you know, there's obviously, like, preseason gas and whatever. I think you're going to see Dylan carry the ball a lot, a lot more than he has in previous seasons. And I think you're going to see Aaron Jones catch the football a ton. Even with Alan Lazard in there, I think that Jones is clearly the second most trusted catcher of the football, receiver of the football on the Packers roster by a mile. Even when Robert Tunyon comes back, I still think it's Jones. And I think that you've now seen this Packers offense realize that they need to script catches for, script targets for Jones. They use him a ton in the red zone as a pass catcher, right? They go like unbalanced sets, motion, everybody to one side, and they just like leak Jones out of the backfield, toss it to him one-on-one in space, go get to the pylon. He's really, really good in that regard. So big Aaron Jones receiving game, Packers beat the Vikings, and nobody cares the Packers don't have any receivers anymore because they're just going to make Aaron Jones the next Christian McCaffrey. One of, one of like the big losses with losing Devontae Adams is he was such a key part of their early down success. Just the ability to throw a bubble screen out to him and be confident that he was going to get five or six yards. I think that Aaron Jones, like, like Solak says, is going to kind of step into that role and be that early down outlet for Aaron Rodgers, where if they're crowding the box and you have A.J. Dillon out there and you have Aaron Jones out there, you could split Aaron Jones out wide and kind of take advantage of a matchup. And I, if they don't have that consistently, I don't know if the Packers offense is going to be what it was last year. Yeah, and they also have split back stuff, right? Where they're going to put right. both Jones and Dylan in the backfield. Steven loves talking about this. because Is this real or is this just like preseason training camp BS? Like how this often are real. teams actually putting two running backs on the field of significance? I would, I would, I would bet even more than the Poe retweet avatar Steven steps on me with cleats hostile <laughs> bet. I would bet a significant amount that we're going to see a substantial... Uh, uptick in two back sets this year across the league. Packers are going to be one of the teams. Niners are definitely be one of the teams. Rams are going to be one of the teams. Why? I think the the because 
Okay, so how you want the one minute answer, or the five minute answer? <laughs> Let's start with the one minute and see if we need the five. Okay. Uh, when you are able to put multiple players in the backfield, you screw with rules in a tremendous way. That's really, really hard for defenses. Defenses now have to change the way they cover who covers whom based off if both backs go out on releases and which direction. Do they go opposite ways, split, or do they go both in the same way, right? So if you have like a fullback, right, like an up back, like Kyle Juszczyk, the direction that he goes changes things a lot. The, the Niners did this a little bit when they were using Debo as a running back last year, right? It was like, why is this working so well? Okay, because like Debo's built like a running back. He's a really good runner, but also because they would go split back gun and nobody was practicing split back gun. Nobody was using split back as gun. In a and quarterback and shotgun with a running back left and right. On either him. side. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at like what some of the Falcons were doing in preseason this year, they're running pistol. Three backs back there. So quarterback and shotgun back on his left, back and a right, and a quarterback behind him, a running back behind him. So we're going to put a bunch of bodies in the backfield because it forces you to know your rules. The other thing that it lets us do is it lets us get into a different variety of flavor of the RPO game and the play-action pass game, right? Like one of the things that Stephen was talking about there with like Devontae Adams on early downs is, okay, we're going to have, you know, a one running back in the backfield. And we're going to have Devontae Adams standing on the same side of the field as the running back, right? So the, the running backs to the quarterback's right and Devontae's to the quarterback's right. And then we're going to snap it. We're going to put the ball in the running back's belly and we're going to look at the defense. And if we want to hand it off, RPO, whoop. And if we don't, Adams is right there. We can see he's got cushion. We're going to throw a bubble screen. It's not even really a bubble screen. It's just a, a now screen, right? There's no blocker. There's just Devontae Adams with space. Throw it to him. He gets four yards. It's basically a running play. Lovely. We don't have Devontae Adams anymore. How are we going to get to the same thing? We go with two backs in the backfield and we're going to motion one of them out right before the snap. So all of a sudden, boom, Aaron Jones just running to the sidelines, five yards behind the line of scrimmage. We snap it. We look at potentially handing it to AJ Dillon. If we don't like it, we just throw it to Aaron Jones. He's got two blockers in front of him, just two receivers against two corners. Go get four yards. Boop. It's a running play. But it's nice and I, easy. Here's what I'm confused about. I get what you're saying. I think where it's like, well, the rules are Aaron Jones going. So let's say I'm in the backfield. And it, well, I could be a running back and I could do this way. I could split out as wide. But the problem is I suck. Like it does. You know what I mean? I'm not good at my job. I thought the whole point was. In like the rule breaking is good when you have someone who can actually do the job, like the Taysom Hill stuff was interesting because he was passable enough as a quarterback or a tight end or receiver that like he could do those jobs well enough that he could beat the player like Debo was interesting last year because he was a good enough running back to be a good running back and be a good wide receiver. But like, does it like if Aaron is Aaron Jones good enough to just beat a cornerback straight up? Like, isn't Aaron Jones lining out wide kind of good for the defense? Don't you want a cornerback on Aaron Jones out wide? You're not going to get them in the backfield. You're not going to get a linebacker. Yeah, you're going to get a linebacker on Jones because the defense has to match personnel, right? So if you're if 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 I'm an offensive coordinator, I put my two back set out in the field, and you're trying to get a nickel on the field, like a slot corner. Right. You're like, all right, we got to get have an extra defensive back body on the field because we're worried about Aaron Jones catching the ball. I'm going to hand it to A.J. Dillon 400 times and I'm going to tell your safeties and your cornerbacks, see the man with the quads. Go hit the man with the quads. Hit him many, many times in cold Green Bay weather. We will beat you in a football game because now we've gotten light bodies on the field and we can run the ball down your throat. Perfect illustration of this. Two years ago, Rams Packers in the playoffs. I knew he was going to bring it up. This is the most important game of the last five years. People don't realize it. But that's what the Packers the one where the Niners won by like 30 points. No, the Packers. Rams Packers. Rams Packers. Rams Packers. Yeah, they upset the the Rams. They they beat their defense. They beat uh, Brandon Staley's defense. They did it by putting two running backs on the field, motioning Aaron Jones out wide. The linebacker would follow 
and they would just hand it off to A.J. Dillon and have him being a battering ram. He would just run through the line, just run right into the middle of the line and get five yards. And they just did it over and over and over again. So big picture, what we're talking about here is like it used when we grew up and we were playing Madden, the base defense was four, three. And like right. there weren't three receivers on the field. And then like now it's like there's three receivers on the field. And so they had to do a slot cornerback and then defenses had to get lighter to defend the pass. And now you don't want linebackers out there because it's too slow to cover people. And now defenses have adjusted and they have a bunch of fast people out there who are now small. Now you go back. And now you go back and you're like, actually, we have heavy people. But instead of fullbacks, basically, instead of having a fullback and a running back, just have two running backs on the field so that it's heavier. Line a running back out wide. And that way you can do either one. If they put heavy people out there, you'll throw. And if they put that 11th player is like a secondary guy then you're going to run that's the game that's football that's that's like what makes it interesting at the heart of every x's and o's battle at the heart of every game it's that question how where do you put your numbers and what do you do to exploit that but does this work if the packers have nobody who can catch i mean they have sammy watkins and i mean romeo dobbs like christian watson's like you know like like they have nobody really at receiver who's going to contribute like are these guys good enough to make the rest of this work It's not just that it it works in spite of that. It also works in part because you can't say as a defense that Sammy Watkins out there, so we won't put a corner on him. You still got to put the number out there. You still, I put Sammy Watkins all the way up against the the far sideline, all the way outside the numbers. You cannot not put a dude there. And so I just stick him over there and all right, he just took a player away. And it's like, if that were Devontae Adams, sure, it's much more likely you now are like in split field coverage so that you can have a safety shaded to that side to help out that corner. But still, I'm, you got to go put a body out over there and you got to go put a body over there for Romeo Dubs. And I'm going to be able to, to, to line dudes up on the outside. You're going to have to move players outside of the box. And then I'm going to have Aaron Jones and, and AJ Dillon, at least pre-snap, in the backfield with Aaron Rodgers. And then I'm going to let one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league both put dudes in motion and make post-snap decisions to make you wrong with those players. And you're not going to get, you know, 12% explosive play rate out of this stuff. You're not going to get 20 yard runs getting ripped off, but you are going to get, we can get a free five yards whenever we want it on first and 10. Cause we have the, the uh, quarterback who can make the decisions and the skill position players who can make the guys miss in space or AJ Dillon make the runs between the tackles to get us into second and five. We're constantly forever, always invariably, getting to second and five and that feels small but it's enormous it's the biggest thing in the world if i just if i'm just my success rate on first down is like 60 percent out of this this personnel grouping i'm the best offense ever it's amazing it's that in and of itself is just like such a huge advantage and it it doesn't get put on highlight reels and like i said that's not going to get talked about in big ways play action whatever but that sort of package is, is what's very valuable so I think the Packers are going to do it. Rams are going to do it with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. Think about the, the Super Bowl. They threw like three passes to Daryl Henderson outside the numbers, like vertical so, routes. Are, is this going to happen three times a game or 30? Like 15. That's, I would say that's less. a lot. Yeah, I would say less than 15, but it's not that it'll happen like 12 times a game. It's that it'll happen four, four, six, four, six, four, nineteen. And 19 yeah, is going to be yeah. like primetime game against the Buccaneers or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's going to be. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that teams are going to use. Again, this goes into like the five minute explanation, which I guess we got into that. But like, yeah, if you're running, here we are. Yeah. Like if you're running cover three, I don't need this, right? If you're, if you're, I'm going as the Colts, it's Gus Bradley. I don't, I don't need to do this. I have 95,000 ways to beat cover three. It's not a problem. If you are like 
the Patriots of like a few years ago and you just like are going to live as man coverage. I don't like really need this. I know where you are, whatever. If you are a match coverage team that is trying to go off of rules in terms of who's, who's covering who is decided by post snap route distribution, who I cover will depend on who goes where then putting multiple dudes in the backfield who can release. That's the cheat code, baby. Cause that, that is like literally one of the first rules that is taught to defenses learning match coverage is what you do with a fast three. And a fast three is basically somebody in the backfield released into a route right now. The moment the ball snapped, he's out on a route. That just, just the back releasing immediately changes the rules of who covers who. Now I put two dudes in the backfield? AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones, both can catch 50 balls according to Aaron Rodgers? Whoa, Nelly. We got ourselves a problem, right? So dudes in the backfield who can conceivably both run the football, Debo Samuel, and catch the football. Daryl Henderson, Aaron Jones. Yeah, these guys are going to matter a lot. Now, don't even get me started on, on Miami. Get Tyree Kill and Jalen Wild on the backfield? Let's make some magic, baby. This is just where the league, are, league is going. And you see that in Kansas City and Buffalo. Like, those were the, the teams that were like, oh, spreading it out works now. That's how you run an elite offense. And then we saw them at the end of last year. They started putting fullbacks on the field. They started putting dudes in the backfield, like Solak is saying. Reggie Gilliam hours on the podcast. To, to get those basic coverages, to get those cover three, because we know how to beat cover three. We don't know how to beat, like, cover four quarters, the Brandon Staley stuff consistently. But if you get cover three every down, you're going to have success. Steven, after you kind of were saying that the Chiefs might struggle, at the end of the day, Packers-Vikings, they've won the division three years, more than, I think, three years in a row. Do you think that Rodgers is going to struggle? Do you think the Packers win the game? No, I think Rodgers, I think it'll be fine. I think LaFleur will have answers to what, I don't know what the Vikings defense is going to look like. I think that's a huge question mark, but I, I don't see it being an issue. I really don't. And then defensively, I think the Packers are, are well built to stop what the Vikings are going to be. I think the Vikings offense is going to be good this year, but this is the perfect defense to stop what they're going to do and make Kirk uncomfortable. And then we know what happens when Kirk is uncomfortable. Solak, do you think Kirk will be uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable yeah. just talking about Kirk Cousins. I think like like I, there are a lot of people who are higher in the Vikings. I'll believe it when I see it. I think that in the same way that like to bring this pod full circle, Russ is kind of a limiting factor on Russ offenses. All Russ offenses become Russ offenses. Russ is Russ. Kirk is kind of the same way where it's like, yeah, you can like really set this up in a way for Kirk to be successful. Great you know, play actions and run boots. He's going to boot out to his left. Well, that's crazy. And like, yeah, that's all awesome. And then it's going to, at some point, it's third and eight. And you're like, dang, <laughs> there's nothing to be done here. It's just Kirk. You know, like he's going to stare at Justin Jefferson. Jefferson's going to break off the route beautifully. 12 yards of depth. He's going to be open. And Kirk's going to pump fake and take a sack. We've seen that for long enough that we just know that's where we're at. Uh, and so I, I think the Packers defense is really good. I think it's better than the Vikings offense. I think the Vikings offense could be just fine this year as they've been in years past with Kirk. I, I all believe Kevin O'Connell has the magic fairy dust for Kirk Cousins when I have proof, I won't believe it until then. Well, luckily we have a whole season ahead of us. Okay. That's all we got. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. So check out Steven's quarterback rankings. there at the ringer. And if you play fantasy football, fantasyfootball.theringer.com, We got our rankings there. Uh, we'll see if we can get this to Shannon Sharp. Maybe Shannon Sharp will start screaming at Steven, or we could just replace Steven with Shannon Sharp. We could do that too. Stop a swap trading places. All right. Thank you everyone, for listening to the ringer NFL show.